Men of Valor podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. This week, we'll be continuing in our study through the book of Revelation in chapter 14. And I'll be giving a quick overview of the chapter and then focus specifically on what this says about God and what practical application we could take away. Now, at this point in the book, we've seen a number of events take place. In the first three chapters, we saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven churches, warning those who've allowed sin and corruption to creep in that they need to repent, while also encouraging those who are fighting the good fight to keep fighting, and he is with them and will reward them in the end. Then we're thrust into heaven in chapters 4 and 5, where we see a great worship service taking place, the end of the church age and the coming of the tribulation, where God begins to pour out his wrath on earth from chapter 6 to around 19. And then almost midway in John's vision of the tribulation period, we hit chapter 14. Now, chapter 14 is an interesting chapter because all of a sudden we're pulled from the midst of all this chaos. And John is given a vision of three scenes that don't fit chronologically in the current timeline of what we've been seeing in the last few chapters. Now, Revelation 14 is what we call a parenthetical passage, which simply means this chapter is a parenthesis right in the middle of Jesus's revelation, really. Now, you could think of it like this. You're telling a story right in the middle of the story. You take a necessary detour to add further context or a reminder or simply a side note before you finish and jump back into the story. And that's exactly what's happening here. Right in the middle of all this chaos, all this hopelessness, God, in the middle of John's vision, reminds the reader that victory and hope is still available and God will spare the righteous of his coming judgment. Now, let's look at the first section of Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. Now, I'm not going to read every verse for the sake of time, but I promise you this will be in context. So let's read Revelation 14, verse 1. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, with, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, if you remember back in chapter 7, God gathered and sealed 144,000 Israeli or Jewish evangelists as a remnant on earth set apart to do his work. Well, these are the same group. In this group, it says they kept themselves free from all forms of immorality. It goes on to say they stayed on mission and everything they did was for the Lord. You can conclude that from reading this. And they had a song only they could sing because only they were entrusted with their mission and calling. Here we see some victory. And the victory that we see revealed in verse 1 is it says that they are standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb, who is Jesus, obviously. And there are two views about Mount Zion that they're standing on, this Mount Zion. And the first is they're standing on the literal Mount Zion after having made it through the tribulation unscathed. And that's based off of verse 2, which would be interpreted as while they're on the earthly Mount Zion, this voice is coming from heaven, basically saying, the phrasing of the voice coming from heaven would not need to be included if they were in heaven. Also, I'll briefly note this, that Mount Zion is mentioned about 160 times in the Bible as the literal Mount Zion on earth and only mentioned twice as the heavenly Mount Zion. And that's the first view. And the second view is they're on a figurative Mount Zion as referred to in a couple places in the Bible. And this view holds that the 144,000 is martyred during the tribulation and is in heaven with Jesus. But whatever the case may be, this is a victorious picture that the end result for their faithfulness as believers is standing with their Savior when it's all said and done. And see, that's the hope that we see in the midst of chaos and wrath. God's people can take comfort in the fact that even when the world is falling apart, God's people fall into his presence. And I'll say that one more time, that 
the hope that we see in the midst of chaos and wrath is God's people can take comfort in the fact that even when the world is falling apart, God's people fall into his presence. And this is hope for every believer, not just 144,000, because we are also sealed by God. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And this is basically saying every Christian has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee that we will inherit eternal life in the presence of God. And regardless of the current situation that you're in as a believer. Now, we know that none of us believers will experience the great tribulation period or the tribulation period in the Bible, but we all will experience periods of tribulation. And maybe you're going through it now. Well, Christian, let me remind you that in the midst of your tribulation, we ultimately have victory in Christ, and you bear the seal that guarantees you will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before we move on to the next section, I want to point out one last thing in this section. It's verse 4. It says that they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They don't leave Jesus. And if you want a pure life, you need to follow Jesus. Don't go in any place or situation that you cannot bring Jesus in with you. Or don't go into any place or situation where you have not followed Jesus in. So let's move on to the next section. Revelation 14, 6 through 13. Let's read verses 6 and 7. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and every tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now I want you to imagine that in the midst of God's wrath raining down on earth, that he provides an umbrella for people to still escape his final judgment. Here we see an angel preaching the good news in the midst of all the bad things happening on earth. And everyone will hear the gospel. Every tribe, every language, every people, God has it covered. And this message is the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he shouts, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come. And worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. When you think about it, this is God. He's still pleading and offering people the chance to repent, even in the last hour. Then verses 8 through 12, you have two other angels following, informing all the earth that the other side will lose. Babylon's going to fall. And if you side with them, you will lose too. You will face the judgment of God. You will be cast into the lake of fire. You will lose, and there is no hope. And God has declared once again, victory is his. Now you can either repent and worship him or follow the world right into hell. Now, we know that the Christians on earth during this time will face trials and death, but God leaves them with hope. He calls for them to endure. He calls for them to keep his commandments and faith, as verse 12 says. And you got to think, these are difficult times. These are the times that no one wants to live in. And if a person in the future found themselves in the tribulation period and have listened to the 144,000 or these angels, even though they're in difficult times, even though they may face death, God has not left them without hope. Look at verse 13. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. They may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 
See, even in their death, they are blessed. Why? Because those who come to Jesus will experience the good news, which is Jesus Christ took the punishment for their sins, defeating death, so that man, the man that repents and puts his trust in Jesus may die on earth, but he has eternal life with God. And God has declared victory, but he has also offered hope. Christian, if God has offered hope during the most troubling time on earth, there is surely hope today. And maybe you've been praying for that spouse, that child, that friend, that family member. Don't lose hope. Surely if God pursues the rebellious in the last hour, he is surely pursuing those who are lost today. He may not be sending out preaching angels, but he has messengers all over the earth, even today, preaching the good news. Hopefully you're one of them. Now, the last nine verses in this last section are either great news or terrible news, depending on where one stands with the Lord. Remember in Matthew 18, Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in verse 30 of Matthew 13, Jesus ends the parable with the master talking to his servant, saying, At the time of harvest, I will tell the reapers, gather the tares first, bind them in bundles to be burned. In Revelation 14, these last nine verses appear to be the conclusion of that parable. Now let's read the rest of this chapter. Revelation 14, 14 through 19. Then I look, and behold, the white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with the golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, which is about 184 miles. Now, the first thing we notice is Jesus sitting on the clouds wearing, wearing a golden crown with a sharp sickle in his hand. Though Jesus is the king of kings, the crown he's wearing isn't a diadem like a crown worn by a king. But the word used there is the Greek word stephanos, which is a crown of victory that's worn after winning a war or an Olympic event. So Jesus isn't coming as one going into battle. He's coming as one who already won the battle. And this is an important point because God wins. And with all the persecution, the rebellion, and the evil that is going on during this time, and even the stuff we see going on today, even though sometimes it may appear like we're losing, God wins. He is victorious. And when Christ comes back, he's not coming back to wage war, but to end the war and judge the unrighteous. In Revelation chapter 6, we see the martyrs in heaven murdered for their Christian witness, crying out, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? And the Lord gives them a white robe and tells them to rest a little longer. Well, that rest is over. The victory is here. The harvest is ripe. Now, here we get a glimpse of Jesus holding a sickle in his hand about to reap this harvest. And a few times this mention, um, a few times this passage mentions the word ripe. 
Well, that word ripe can also be translated as overripe, dried up, withered, or even rotten. Jesus is about to clear the earth of its dried up, withered, rotten souls. Earlier in this chapter, we saw three angels giving mankind the opportunity to repent. Now we see three angels participating in putting an end to man's reign on earth. Jesus is doing a thorough cleansing as he and another angel mentioned here are swinging their sickles. Verse 19 and 20 says, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Now all the evildoers are taken out just like that and thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. As I said before, 1600 stadia is around 184 miles. Now I don't know if this is figurative or literal, but I do know it's bad. It's not good for those who meet this fate. And for the believer throughout history or the person during this time period who listens to the first three angels, this is nothing more than watching our king in his glory right the wrongs of mankind, which is great news. Now for the unbeliever throughout history or the person during this time who reject the message of the first three angels, you will have to deal with Jesus and these last three angels, which is terrible news. Everyone gets to choose. You're either like the 144,000 who follow Jesus, or you're like the countless in this chapter who fall to Jesus. And with everything mentioned here, I think the biggest takeaway is what this chapter says about God. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he is a just judge, but he is gracious, merciful, and loving. He is a God of many chances. The God who loves you enough to give you choices. The God who even in the midst of his wrath on earth offers a way out. From the first hour to the last hour of his rebellious fallen creation, God is pursuing mankind. But beware, do not put off receiving Christ. Because one day his pursuit will stop and mankind will either spend eternity with him or eternity in his wrath. And I'll end with this old hymn. You've all heard it before. It's the battle hymn of the Republic. Now, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. See, God's truth wins. Choose to see his glory or you've chosen to see his wrath. Choose to sing hallelujah or you've chosen to suffer in hell. And our hope is that everyone would choose Jesus. But in the words of our study book on this chapter of Revelation, we must let them choose. Now, if you want to study these things deeper, I want to encourage you to join a Harvest small group. And you can join our men's, women's, couples, or co-ed groups at harvest.church forward slash groups. Once again, you're listening to our Harvest Men of Valor podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. Have a great week and God bless.